Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, January the 18th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with my co-host Richard Hurley. Thank you for joining us this evening. We've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, but to get things rolling, let's first go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Richard. How are you hey, doing? David. I'm doing okay. I hope everybody else is doing all right. And um, you're, you're staying put and you're... Avoiding the COVID-19, I know the county that I live in, we've been spiking and a little out of control, which is which is really unfortunate and uh, very disconcerting. So we just got to keep uh, doing what we're doing. Wash your hands, wear your mask, and watch your social distancing. As David said, we do have a, a good show for you tonight. But before we get to the show, I want to remind everybody that this is a call-in show that welcomes your views, comments, and questions, so you can call us at any time during the show at one 627 6008 Again, that number is one 627 6008 And before I turn it back over to David, I know we've got a tape for, with our outgoing uh, VA Secretary, Robert Wilkie. This past week, week I had 14 Board of Veteran Appeals hearings. And uh, that's a little crazy on my part, but when when these dates come 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 your way, you have to grab them because if you don't grab them, the veteran can, can wait six, eight months or more. Hey, Rick, we got a caller on uh, on line two. If you want to take take the caller, uh, sure, sure. I think I know who this is. Go ahead. Uh, is this, hey, uh, Rick, Jim Stone. Jim Stone, how you doing? Hey, Jim, how you doing, buddy? Well, yeah, another you, day in paradise. Yeah, you were uh, you you were one of the BVA hearings that that we had this past week, and one of the things that right. I wanted to 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 say to the listeners is, you know, these BVA hearings, these judges are terrific people. You know, I I don't know what your experience is prior to getting to the Board of Veteran Appeals, and, and Jim, maybe you can comment on that. I know you've been very frustrated, but when you get to the Board of Veteran Appeals, these judges, uh, for the most part, seem extremely caring. And, uh, willing to just, you know, get to the, the heart of the matter and address the issues on behalf of the veteran. And, and it just seems to me that everything just flips right to what can we do to help the veteran and let, you know, let's see what's in the file that we have to correct. Or if we have to move forward and, and try to find some new evidence to help the veteran, let's go do that as well. Uh, so Jim, you know, why don't you briefly tell about, you know, your experience, uh, uh, this past week? Well, it's, I guess it goes back a little bit further than that, but I'm not going to get too involved. But I think that the frustration that I've had over the, the months and years of trying to get, uh, some satisfaction out of the, out of the VA on the disability claims was a lack of, um, I, I guess a, a, a fast response and a proper response back from the VA, uh, everything was very vague, very, very difficult to find, very uh, unorganized on their part. 
you had to really hunt and search in all your documents to find the information that you want or that you need. And I, I found that to be very uh, troublesome and very difficult to, to make, you know, make the right decisions on what to say or how to say on your next request or your next uh, input back to the VA. Um, it, it's very important, I think, for the listeners to understand the importance of being as accurate as you possibly can and to be as detailed as you possibly can without repeating yourself multiple times. The importance of writing things out correctly and writing things out uh, as you remember and as you recall um, it is, is a great thing. However, when you do that, I've, I've found it very helpful, and I think, Mr. Hurley, Rick, you may verify with me, that when you write things out, understand that the people at the VA, the lawyers, the judges, and everybody in, involved in this and that decision-making for you cannot read your mind. They don't understand the circumstance. So you have to verbally, or, or, or correction, you have to make a picture in words of what you're trying to describe to the to the judge, to the veteran people, and everybody working on their claim. Like I said, they can't read your mind. They can't see what you were doing. Most of the people making these decisions have never experienced anything close to what you've been done or what you have done in the past. They don't have a clue. Um, some do, but but a lot of them don't. And so you have to make the assumption that the person you're writing this to does not understand what it's like to be a artillery guy or a pilot or a uh, infantry guy. They they only see what they see on you know on the news or on TV or at the movie theater and that Hollywood version. So you got to be very very understanding on that part. So you have to be very detailed, write everything out. And if you have a problem writing that, uh, there's a technique. You know, close your eyes, turn on the tape recorder, and then and then say what you want to say, you know, and be very detailed. That way you can always go back to it, catch those words, key phrases and everything that you missed, and then write it down on a piece of paper. Saying very simple, short phrase things like, I was in the infantry and I got hurt. Well, that's that's not going to get you anything. You know, how did it happen? It can be very detailed. I think that helped me when I wrote out uh, on a uh, one of the papers I gave to Rick that was pretty detailed, I thought, on a lot of the uh, accidents and events that I was involved in. And Rick, maybe you agree or disagree, but I think it I think it's really it helped you a lot. Oh, Jim, let me tell you, you're, uh, the paperwork that you prepared, uh, that we prepared together and, and was was outstanding. I mean, if I could use any uh, case that I've had over the last nine years as a model, it would, pro- it would probably be your case. Uh, with the uh, attachments that you were able to to print and uh, and first put together and then uh, uh, send me. Now I understand there are a lot of veterans who who just can't do that, uh, and and you know that that's fine too. But any veteran who can, who can take the time to really dive into their file and pull each issue out and address each issue. Uh, like Jim said, describing, you know, in the service what happened to you that caused that disability and then, 
uh, where you are today. How, you know, what's, what's the nexus back to, uh, the injury in service? When you do that, as Jim said, it really helps the, uh, in this case, the Board of Veteran Appeals judge. Um, judge Jim, how did you find the judge, just the demeanor of the judge? I think, uh, I'd like you to comment on that. I, I think, uh, of course, you never know what a judge is going to be like, you know. I, you know, we've all seen judges, whether you've been a jury member or not, or unfortunately may have stood before a traffic judge or something. And so many of judges have this, you know, I'm superior attitude, it seems. But I, I tell you, everybody I've, I've dealt with, the VA, uh, the judge side of the house, um, in the, the appeals thing has been very, um, supportive, very, uh, attentive, very, very, uh, I mean, they're willing to listen. They, you know, it, it's a, it's very important for these people to understand what you're doing and they, they have to be good listeners and ask the right questions. And, you know, when you're, he's asking the questions, um, for God's sakes, please make sure you've got everything you want to say written down on a piece of paper so that you can go to it. If you have to say, wait just a minute, let me find my notes. Well, do that and then take your time, read it if you have to. If it comes from your memory, I think it, it does a little better. But if you, if you need to read it, do so and, and, but make sure you capture everything that you want to say. Don't, don't leave that room and go, Oh, I forgot to say this or forgot to say that, you know, because that is going to make you feel uneasy and it may render the decision in a more of a negative way than what you were anticipating or what you wanted. But this judge was really outstanding. Uh, his, his demeanor was, was, was just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe he was a judge. I mean, he actually even joked a little bit with us on one little term. I forgot what it was now, but it was, uh, so, so he was, so you very, very, uh, you felt comfortable from the, from the very beginning, didn't you? Oh, yes. Very much so. Very much so. I, I, I think those of us in the room were, were very, uh, very fed, felt at ease. Uh, talking to him, we didn't feel uh, intimidated, <clears throat> or he was he was never condescending uh, to uh, to us when we were you know talking with and answering his questions. So it was he was very helpful, I think. So Jim, you you had an interesting issue, and I'd like to share it because I, I mentioned this to David um, after after your hearing, and you have a situation where you were. Service connected for the individual unemployability going back to uh, November of 2018, uh, which would have at that point compensated you at the 100% rate, but you never received and you still never received that compensation. And it wasn't until 2020 when your, when your post-traumatic stress issues got you to to the 100% that you in fact got to the 100%. But that, that, that issue has, was never resolved. And in fact, if you recall, the judge just was like perplexed because he said, well, why are we even talking about the unemployability? Mr. Stone's already 100% for unemployability. It was, it was granted back in, I think it was November of 28, whatever, November of 2018. Yeah. And we said, well, that's true, judge, but he hasn't gotten paid. He never got the money. And the judge was like, well, what do you want me to do? (laughs) 
Well, he I, he had the look of of confusion, and he, he you know it, the old saying goes when you hit somebody upside of the head with a brick, and it's kind of what he wasn't saying ouch, but that that look of con, confusion was definitely on his face, and he just he didn't understand why. And he said it's he goes I'm looking at the document, it's written in black and white. I don't know how much more clear he can be. Um, so I you know I've sit down and I've trying to guess, you know, what they owe and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, every time I do, I come up with a different figure. So, but it's, it's really, um, and this goes back to your, your frustration. frustration to have, you know, it, it's very frustrating. And, and, uh, I, I did call the, just you, I, you don't know this yet, but I called the, the VA just to ask the question, where does it stand? And uh, I kind of, for the most part, heard crickets in the background. Um, one individual I talked to uh, at the VA, um, I will say he is the most condescending, arrogant individual that I have met or discussed anything with the VA ever in the years that I've been dealing with the VA. Uh, this guy was just off the scale. And so I just hung up with him and later called back and talked to somebody else. Got a much better response. And again, it was total confusion. We're not sure. You're not the right office. You're not, you know, we, we, we can't help you with this. We don't know what to do next. So it was kind of the blind leading the blind. Nobody seemed to know what, what the right answer was and how to go about getting, you know, compensated correctly for, you know, for something that was due back in November 2018. I mean, we're talking over two years ago. So, right. Um, and there's about an 18 month or so, um, Gray area between when the, the VA between made the decision of granting you the unemployability and then when you finally got your 100% through the other right. claims. Yeah. Well, I, I had one even tap dance around and say, well, you don't have uh, one disability at 60%, you don't have one or, you know, one at 60 or a combination of 70. And I said, well, yeah, I do. And I said, if you add all these things up, that was effective back in November 18, and said it exceeds 70%. So, and I said, that's using the VA math. That's not just counting the numbers up that's on the, on the decision paper. I said, but you, you guys don't understand the rule yourself. I said, because you're telling me exactly what I'm telling you. I already meet that requirement. And she goes, well, I, I can't help you. I don't know. I said, that'll have to go before an appeal. And I said, okay. yeah, which we already did, and, and he can't help us. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what's next. Well, we'll keep we'll keep after it, but uh, but I want to thank you, Jim, and uh, appreciate uh, your your uh, assistance uh, in in preparing for the for the hearing because if there's if there's one I think thing that I'm taking back from uh, working with you is how helpful you were to me to help prepare your case. And sometimes well, I think that, that sometimes I think some veterans think that they they turn it over to you, and yeah, we're going to do the majority of the work. But the bottom line is, you know, unless we have the facts and help and help with some of the medical information, we can't properly prepare your your case uh, when we get to the board of veteran veteran appeals. So the more participation yeah. that the veteran makes with the attorney. Um, 
the better overall the, the presentation is going to be in front of the judge. And I think even, you know, if, if the judge sees how well we're prepared, that then lends itself to the judge being more at ease and more relaxed and, and we get into that. Remember, I think he, he made that com- comment. You know, I want to get into a conversation. Remember that? Yeah, he, I, want to, he, I want to get into a conversation back and forth. He was, I think, uh, a little surprised how well we had everything laid out. And I showed him all the folders I had. I had all this stuff. And then when I showed him things like from my knee, held up the pictures of what, what my knee looked like before and after the surgery and all that kind of stuff, um, he, he, um, I think he was a little overtaken. Um, but I, again, I cannot, rec- and I know you've, I've, preached to the choir here on this teleconference, but I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for the veteran to do the due diligence and put stuff together to help you so you can help them. The more they help you, the better you can aid them and help them get the, the, the disability ratings that they deserve, so greatly deserve. You know, these guys put a lot of time and effort and years um, you know, in the service, and you know, they, a lot of people have been injured and hurt, and shot, and everything else. And it, it, it's just it's appalling to me to see that how everybody just takes things for granted, and how the VA is not going to volunteer and just give you something because you walk in the door and say, "I, I was injured, or I was wounded, or whatever the case might be." Um, they'll go, "Okay, well, that's nice. We're sorry about that happen. Have a nice day." No, you you deserve what what is authorized by by the VA and by our government you know, to support you for your time and service. And it's it's imperative that that person writes out everything that they can that happened to them, every little detail. And if someone has a problem um, with the English language or understanding or writing itself, then ask for help. Get somebody to assist you. Get you know, your next door neighbor or somebody and say, Hey, can you help me write this thing out better if you think you're a poor writer? Um, you know, and, and it, it's so, it's so important to do that. You know, I don't consider myself, uh, you know, a great writer in any way, shape or form, but I, but putting everything down on paper, I think for you, Rick was, was probably the most important thing that it did for trying to get us the success that we had and trying to get my disability where it, it greatly deserved to be. Um, if I hadn't done some of those things, I don't think, matter of fact, I know it, uh, we would have never gotten there. Yeah. So, um, the importance of that writing, writing things out. And like I said, you know, I, I used to do a little side note here. I used to do aircraft accident investigations and I'd ask somebody, what did you see? And they'd give me about a two second or two minute very short dissertation of what they saw. And I said, okay, fine. Come over here in this chair, sit down, take a deep breath. I want you to close your eyes, lower your head, and just sit there for a few minutes and think about what you saw. And then as you, as you, when you get the time, you feel comfortable. I want you to tell me in detail everything that you saw. And at that point in time, the stuff that comes out of that person's mouth, is a hundred times more and more important than what he originally said because he's relaxed and he's 
really concentrating on what was said. The detail that will come out is so important. The same technique can be used in doing this writing, this paper, and the things that you need to support your claim. Get that tape recorder if you don't want anybody else to hear it. If not, get somebody to write down, take the notes or everything down. You know, get your wife or your spouse or whomever to, you know, to write this stuff out. It is, it is incredibly important to do that. If you don't get the right stuff, the right wording, you're not helping yourself. And remember, Rick and his team cannot do everything for you. It is impossible. They cannot read minds. They don't know where you were, how you were doing and, you know, whether you're lying on the ground or standing up when you got injured, and who knows, you, you got to you got to help you, your, help yourself by helping them so they can help you. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for for calling in and sharing your experience. I think it was very helpful for other veterans who who uh, <clears throat> uh, listen to you and might be getting ready to go before the Board of Veteran Appeals, and they've got a representative and maybe. The, They'll be uh, motivated to step up to the plate and do the kind of things that they need to do in order to get um, a well-presented case. And, uh, again, I want to thank you for appearing on the show tonight. Okay. I hope some people got some good things out of that. Right. Very good. Thank you, Jim, and have a good night. Say hi to Becky. I sure will. Take care. Bye. Take care. Well, David, that uh, that was helpful. Oh yeah, that was great advice. Uh, or appreciation to, to Jim for sharing it. I think the way he described it too is that, you know, the, the Board of Veteran Appeals judge, the VA employees, and even the veterans representative, whether it's a VSO or an attorney, cannot read the veteran's mind and not know unless the veteran tells the representative. And I think what he described as a practical technique is, is wonderful. So. <clears throat> Um, All right. right. Over to you, David. Yeah, we've got uh, in our next segment, we have a uh, seven and a half minute uh, audio tape from VA Secretary Robert Wilkie, who will be leaving uh, that position this week as the new presidential administration begins. Secretary Wilkie has helped oversee many uh, excellent improvements to the VA over the course of his uh, tenure last couple years, and it's a privilege to hear from him as he completes his service as the VA Secretary. So, Doug, if you'll please uh, roll the tape from VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. Hi, I'm Robert Wilkie. I've been privileged to be part of the VA family now for over two and a half years, and family is the operative word. Last week, I was in a part of the country where my father grew up, in western Louisiana a place devastated by hurricanes that came at them one right after another. I watched our VA family cope not only with their mission, helping veterans, but cope with the individual disasters that plague them in their own homes. I saw trees that had crushed houses, cars that were no longer recognizable. The day before that I visited our VA facility in Lake Charles, a typical Louisiana thunderstorm had rolled through and flooded the tents that had been put up to serve our veterans. By the time I arrived early that morning, the water had already been cleared out, the people were at their stations, and veterans were being served. That is the spirit of this VA, a VA that has undergone a renaissance like no other period in its history, 
in the last few years. And that's why we call ourselves a family. Coping with crisis and emergency situations is nothing new to VA. We trace our birth back to the Civil War when an exhausted Abraham Lincoln called on America to care for everyone who took up arms in that bloody conflict. VA evolved in leaps and bounds when World War II called for a nationwide system to care for the men and women who liberated Europe and the Pacific. In 2020, America faced a very different kind of crisis in the form of COVID-19. And it became VA's responsibility once more to see our veterans through it. Many would agree that VA probably wasn't up to this task just a few short years ago, after VA leaders were caught misrepresenting veterans' access to health care. Morale within VA was low, and polls showed most veterans didn't think very much of a bureaucracy that was failing them. Six years ago, a CNN poll showed that just 37% of our veterans approved of VA's performance. But over the last few years, VA was reborn. Today, our approval rating stands at 90% for health care. And among our fastest-growing population women, we have an 86% approval rating. Morale has soared. From 2014 to 2016, VA was near the bottom of federal agencies in a survey of best places to work. Now, VA is sixth, and we expect to be fifth when the new numbers come out in March. We did it by listening to our employees, the VA family, and the veterans we serve. I visited every state in the Union and almost every territory to talk to veterans. Veterans had been demanding options outside of VA for years, and we delivered real permanent choice to them through the Mission Act. Now, millions of veterans are getting care right in their communities and are finally at the center of their own health care decisions. Giving veterans choice didn't mean the end of us. Instead, we made VA more accountable and empowered VA staff to once more live up to the legacy of this department, and they rose to the occasion. Recent studies show VA measures up to the private sector on access and quality. Veterans liked what they saw and started voting with their feet. We completed a record number of appointments in fiscal year 2019, 59 million, the same year that the Mission Act took effect. The more veterans we served, the more veterans trusted us. Trust in VA care hit a record high in April of 2020. VA achieved what all the experts in Washington said was impossible by rolling out a modernized health record that will make it easier than ever for health professionals to access veterans' medical histories. No longer will veterans have to lug boxes of paper records around, as my father did after serving in Vietnam. We turned VA into a more welcoming place for women. VA now provides a full range of services for women veterans and has a military sexual trauma coordinator at each of our medical centers. We put staff, patients, and visitors on notice that we have a zero-tolerance policy for sexual assault and harassment. Our ongoing campaign, aimed at preventing these incidents, is just one way of making a difference. Another is the growing number of women we have in leadership roles who oversee our employees. 63% of whom are women. VA has tackled some of the most chronic problems facing veterans with renewed energy. 
We are working with states to reduce veterans' use of harmful opioids, which fell 48% over the last few years. We're working with local governments and companies to end veterans' homelessness. And VA is leading the effort not only to end veterans' suicide, but to begin a nationwide dialogue to prevent this tragedy amongst all Americans. By the time COVID-19 hit, VA was a different organization than the one you read about just a few short years ago. We were ready for the mission. While the virus was a serious threat to many non-VA nursing homes, VA's early actions to protect its most vulnerable patients resulted in far fewer infections at the homes we managed. We also used telehealth to keep in touch with patients at a time of great social distancing. VA's performance during the crisis was so strong that 1,000 VA staff members deployed on more than 3,700 missions to assist non-VA health networks, including those that serve Native Americans. VA has tested more than 1.3 million people for the virus and treated more than 125,000 veterans. As of January 4th of 2021, VA had administered more than 146,000 initial vaccine doses to veterans and healthcare employees just a few weeks after it became available. Before 2016, VA was falling short of Mr. Lincoln's promise. Today, thanks to thousands of dedicated employees across the nation, VA has undergone the most transformational change since the end of World War II and emerged from that process with renewed strength. As a result, VA is now closer than ever to fulfilling the vision Abraham Lincoln laid out in his second inaugural address, the American men and women who wear the uniform. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you do for our nation. Thank you for everything you do for those who carry the burden of liberty with them every day. Well, I'd like to thank uh, VA Secretary uh, Robert Wilkie uh, for uh, serving as the VA Secretary since uh, 2018. I personally think he's done a great job and a very, very challenging uh, position. And I think the VA is, as he as he said himself, and I don't think he was overstating it, I think the VA is in the strongest position it's ever been. Certainly it has challenges, uh, but uh, it's made vast strides to uh, address uh, some of the past problems. And meanwhile, it provides a lot of excellent services and benefits to the country's um, veterans, and I think uh, he and everyone in the VA should be proud of their accomplishments. Um, Rick, over to you. Very good. Yeah, um, he, he did a pretty good job. Let's move on to more news this evening. The American Legion has many programs for veterans and its families. As you know, the American Legion announced on its website on January the 1st that children whose parents lost their lives while honorably serving on active duty on or after 9-11, as well as children of post-9-11 veterans with a combined VA disability rating of 50% or higher, are eligible to apply for the American Legion Legacy Scholarship. Since the Legacy Scholarship's first grant in 2004, 401 military children of the fallen and disabled have received over $3.6 million in aid. The Legacy Scholarship provides financial aid for graduate or postgraduate tuition, books, room and board, meals, meal plan, and other supplies needed to achieve a higher education. 
It is a needs-based scholarship. The grant amount each scholar recipient will receive will be based on his or her financial need after all federal and state aid is exhausted. Recipients will have a year to use the grant and may reapply to the American Legion Legacy Scholarship up to six times. The number of scholarships awarded and the amount of financial aid granted to each awardee, this includes returning applicants, will be determined on donations to the scholarship fund and one's financial needs. Legacy scholarships are made possible from donations to the American Legion Legacy Scholarship Fund. The American Legion Legacy Scholarship application for 2021 is now online at legion.org forward slash scholarships forward slash legacy. That is legion.org forward slash scholarships forward slash legacy. Uh, and this is for uh, eligible applicants to apply using that particular uh, site. This application deadline is April the 15th. Again, that is legion.org forward slash scholarships forward slash legacy. For additional information about the scholarship and eligibility requirements, please learn more at the website, again, legion.org forward slash scholarships forward slash legacy forward slash about. 2021 American Legion Legacy Scholarship recipients will be selected by the American Legion's Committee on Youth Education during the organization's annual spring meetings in May. All applicants, whether recipients of the Legacy Scholarship or not, will be notified immediately thereafter. Over to you, David. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, I think that's a great program the American Legion has, and uh, thanks to them. And uh, if also, if anyone's interested in donating to the program, go to their website, legion.org. In other news affecting veterans, according to a January 12, 2021 article in uh, Stars and Stripes, the Army will review thousands of discharge records of veterans affected by military sexual trauma post-traumatic stress disorder, and other behavioral health conditions following a class action lawsuit uh, that the service recently announced. Uh, This review is part of a settlement reached in the lawsuit known as Kennedy v. McCarthy, which was preliminarily approved December 28, 2020, according to the Army. Now, uh, the service will look at discharges of veterans affected by PTSD, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, or other behavioral conditions. According uh, to the statement uh, released by the service, quote, under the agreement, the Army will automatically reconsider certain discharge status upgrade decisions made by the Army Discharge Review Board between April 17, 2011, and the effective date of the settlement that partially or fully denied relief to Iraq and Afghanistan-era veterans with less than honorable discharges. Now, I would point out some of the operative words are that it will automatically reconsider. That does not mean necessarily that they're automatically going to grant the requested relief, but they will reconsider it. And also, this applies uh, to decisions that were made by the Army Discharge Review Board between April 17, 2011, and the effective date, which should be uh, very soon. And it applies to post-9-11 Iraq and Afghanistan-era veterans. Veterans who were discharged and did not receive an upgrade to honorable from that review board uh, between an earlier period of time, October 7, 2001, to April 16, 2011, will also be able to reapply due to the settlement. 
so they get another opportunity. Now, the background on this lawsuit, it was filed in April 2017 in the U.S. District Court of Connecticut by Army combat veteran Steve Kennedy and Alicia Carson, both of whom suffered from PTSD and other health conditions, uh, but were given a general discharge despite their medical issues, according to their complaint. Now, their case was handled by the Veterans Legal Services Clinic at Yale Law School. Um, Mr. Kennedy, Steve Kennedy, served in the Army from 2006 to 2009, including a deployment to Iraq in 2007 and 2008. He returned home from deployment with PTSD and major depression, but was not properly diagnosed or treated by the Army, according to the court document. Uh, According to the court document, Mr. Kennedy continued to lead his team to top performance marks but began abusing alcohol, self-isolating, and self-injuring, which ultimately led him to going absent without leave for two weeks. His commander ordered a psychiatric evaluation, and he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, but not post-traumatic stress, despite his symptoms. Mr. Kennedy was then discharged due to his two weeks' absence. And uh, and, uh, the other plaintiff, Alicia Carson, deployed to Afghanistan in 2010, Served with the Special Forces Unit as a gunner, taking part in more than a thousand—I'm uh, sorry, a hundred missions—and she was diagnosed with PTSD and a traumatic brain injury by the DoD and Department of Veterans Affairs doctors upon returning from her deployment. Despite receiving a doctor's uh, note to excuse her from National Guard drills, the, the Guard discharged her due to her absences, and uh, both of the plaintiffs appealed to the review board to have their discharges upgraded to honorable were denied. And now due to the settlement, the Army, the National Guard, and Reserve veterans who received a discharge that was downgraded from honorable while having a diagnosis or showing symptoms of military sexual trauma, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, or other behavioral health conditions might be eligible for relief. Um, but again, as the Stars and Stripes article points out, Upgrades to a discharge, such as an honorable discharge, are not guaranteed, and it will be decided on a case-by-case basis. Uh, The Army also agreed in the settlement to change the procedures for how veterans apply to have the discharge status status upgraded in the future and how the review board will address their cases. Some of the changes include allowing veterans to appear via telephone to the review board hearings, also more training for review board members, and updated protocols for decision-making in cases involving symptoms or diagnosis of PTSD, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, or other behavioral health conditions. Um, A hearing to give final approval to the settlement will occur on March 24th. And uh, for more information, you can check out the website, which is kennedysettlement.com. Again, the the website for information about that uh, pretty important uh, case affecting many veterans is kennedysettlement.com and the uh, stay tuned uh, we'll try to keep you updated after the March 24th uh, hearing okay Rick uh, over to you that was a great story there David that's a big deal for a lot of people and David you and I both sure is. deal with yeah it really is and you know you and I deal with a lot of veterans struggling with PTSD and you know you do a lot of Actually, you do all our upgrades, uh, so you see it all the time. Why, why uh, some of our veterans end up going AWOL and 
you know, so often it's not because they just choose to take off. There's always an underlying, not always, but there's an uh, there's an underlying reason why that, uh, a lot of these men and women end up uh, leaving the service without leave and and other issues that pop up. But uh, so that's a that's a great. Uh, and if I could add just doing. one thing, I think as most veterans that have had cases before, either the the discharge of you board for their service or the board for correction of military records for their service will tell you, and if they've also had a VA case, as much as people throw darts and criticize the VA, the VA is leaps and bounds ahead of these review boards as far as um, really the, the, the thoroughness and quality and and really this respect, to, you know, the respect uh, that they have towards veterans uh, than than these than these review boards. Um, the, these review boards are are really, in my opinion, in most cases, they're just um, they just go through the motions and they're just rubber stamps for whatever the military command had already done uh, to the detriment of the of the veteran. And uh, you know their their decisions are often uh, just a page or two in length. And you could submit and you know dozens or even hundreds of supporting pages of documentation and you would expect at least some sort of an analysis which in the VA I realize at the regional office level you may not get that but the Board of Veterans Appeals I think Rick will agree at least in recent years we've seen uh, greater attention to detail and and really more more uh, uh, persuasive decisions and you just do not see that with these military uh, uh, boards so hopefully this is this is just another um, opportunity for the for the services to take a close look and and to improve their um, their systems because you know these these individual veterans are really uh, being harmed um, and it's not just the matter that it's you know the so-called bad paper but it's the effect that it has on their VA disabilities that uh, that's at stake. So, well, that you know you brought up a really good point there. I mean. A lot of the uh, clients that we've had, and I've you know talked to them and before I refer them over to you, uh, it's 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 a very similar story in that they they're they're faced with a a charge against them. Uh, they're they're given an, an attorney for about ten minutes. Um, I'm not going to say that the attorney doesn't know what they're doing, but I don't think that they effectively handle the case. On behalf of the the soldier, the way they should, um, and you know, and and I, you know, having practiced criminal law in the, in the civilian world, I've seen this where you, what you put out there before you even get into the addressing the issues, you put out there, hey, by the way, if you're found guilty, you could end up in the brig for six months, or or something or to that longer. effect, no. or yeah. longer. And what they don't tell you. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, David, but the guys and men and women that I've talked to is what they don't tell you is how is this going to affect me when I'm out of the service? How is it going to affect me with the VA? Uh, well, and that part to, of the conversation to... oh. isn't there. Go ahead, David. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're supposed to tell them. And in fact, in some cases, um, the, the veteran really only realizes it after the fact. And, and, you know, in cases where what sometimes happens is this, um, criminal charges are preferred initiated against 
against the uh, the service member, you know, for AWOL or, or drug abuse or assault, whatever the crime was. And uh, in the in the negotiations between the defense counsel and the, and the prosecution, uh, sometimes they will they will reach an agreement that that they'll allow the uh, the service member to take an administrative discharge rather than be court-martialed. And that administrative discharge, though, comes with usually a negative service characterization of of the worst administrative characterization, which is called an under other than honorable conditions. Uh, some services, they'll refer to it as a UOTHC, others just as, as, as other than honorable. But uh, it's basically, it's, it's the worst of the three administrative characterizations. And uh, the paperwork usually, I mean, and I've seen this in some of the clients I represented, and the way it should be is is uh, that when they sign the paperwork saying, I'm I'm requesting a discharge in lieu of a court-martial, they're acknowledging. But what the, the reality is they really don't know what that means. They've had no one explain to them when it says that you realize that, I realize that this is going to affect my eligibility for most VA benefits. Uh, they, they really don't, they're not even thinking that far down the road, and they don't fully appreciate it uh, in a lot of cases uh, until later, whenever their disabilities become a big burden on their life. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, this is a case, it's, it's, it's one of a number of cases over the years that that is um, continuing to force the military review boards, specifically, you know, the Discharge Review Board and the Board for Correction of Military Records, to take a look at uh, at how they're doing this. And and on the PTSD issue, back in about 2014 and then and again reinforced in about 2017, there were, there were top-level DOD um, letters provided to their board saying, telling the boards that they needed to be considering the effect of traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, military sexual trauma, as it might affect the misconduct that caused the bad paper, the bad characterization. And, you know, so, but it's, it's, but the bottom line too is, um, it's, it's still a case by case determination. This is not like some blanket amnesty that says if you have a PTSD diagnosis, therefore, uh, you get a uh, you know get out of jail free, get all your VA benefits. Unfortunately, it's not that simple, and uh, you know sometimes it's it's a challenge to to show that a PTSD or depression, whatever it might be, or traumatic brain injury was sufficient at that point in time, and that w- and that there was that causal link between that and and uh, and the misconduct. So again, that's where it comes down to case by case situation and certainly uh the passage of time uh sometimes does not help uh you know because witnesses you might want to contact uh may no longer may no longer even be alive you know or if they are they might be very difficult to track down witnesses uh that the that the veteran served with for instance but uh in any event um there's a lot at stake and that is that you know the the veterans of VA a disability compensation uh, will will typically ride on the outcome of this. Now, the VA does have its own character of discharge determination process, so it's another way, kind of a second bite at the apple, so to speak. But um, I had a I had a hearing in December with a BVA judge, and the BVA judge really tipped his hand 
you know, it wasn't to our benefit, but the case isn't over yet. We're still, we're still fighting it, which was that, and he had not made it, he's not made a decision, but the point being that, that this, this judge, the, the VA would like it to be nice and clean, which is to have the military make that tough decision rather than the VA have to do it. Now, even though the VA clearly has, has the discretion in many cases, I say many, but not all cases, there are specific statutory exclusions and there's some regulation sections that, uh, uh, some of which depending on the type of misconduct, uh, and, uh, other circumstances. But it's, uh, it's something that, uh, it's good that, um, veterans, uh, you know, consult with, uh, with an attorney and, uh, prepare their case because certainly with these discharge review boards and the board for correction, um, you better consider that you have one opportunity and you better put your strongest case forward because if you think you can lose and then just apply for reconsideration, yeah, that's an option, but it's, it's, uh, it becomes much, much more difficult to prevail on a reconsideration. But, uh, any event, all right, that's, uh, we're, we're down to our last, uh, about seven minutes, Rick. So, um, if you want another, to, uh, if you want to focus on here, go ahead. Um, Again, let me just give that uh, website out again. That's www.kennedysettlement.com for anyone who wants to look into that. The U.S. Yeah. Department of Veteran Affairs announced on January the 6th its Digital Divide Consult has helped more than 12,000 veterans obtain Internet access or a video-capable device for their health care needs. As part of the program, the VA providers refer veterans to a VA social worker who determines eligibility for various programs to assist with getting the Internet service or technology needed for VA telehealth. Ensuring older veterans, those living in rural areas and veterans who are homeless or in temporary housing have the opportunity to participate. According to the Journal of the American Medical Informatics Association, veterans with lower incomes, more severe disabilities, and more chronic conditions are more likely to use virtual care during the pandemic. But veterans older than 45 and veterans who are homeless or who live in rural areas are less likely to use video care. The Digital Divide Council provides a solution for these veterans to access video care when needed. The pandemic has tested VA's workforce like never before, and innovations like the Digital Divide Council highlight the ingenuity and resilience that have been the hallmarks of the department's successful response to this national emergency, said VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. As our virtual care infrastructure continually improves, so does the quality and accessibility of veterans' care. VA's Digital Divide Console and other initiatives are prime reasons the use of the telehealth services by veterans continues to rise. In mid-November, a total of 196,116 telehealth video visits to veterans in their homes or other off-site locations were completed over a seven-day period, representing a 1,653% increase in weekly VA video connect visits since the February end of February. The number of video appointments held per day peaked at more than 41,000. To further enable veterans to participate in telehealth, VA facilities are establishing test call services to support veterans ahead of their first video visit. Additionally, VA is partnering with Microsoft's AirBand initiative to educate veterans on essential digital skills. VA intends to update the digital divide console as opportunities for future broadband and device discounts become available. Learn more about VA telehealth at the website connectedcare.va.gov forward slash. Again, connectedcare.va.gov forward slash. Sounds like a great initiative. 
Yeah, use the Back technology. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got two things real quick. Uh, we've got about four minutes left in the show. Two things real quick before I turn things back over to Rick. The first is, um, as we've reported some of the prior shows, but I want to, want to reiterate is that the VA caregiver support program, uh, the, the longer name is the program of comprehensive assistance for family caregivers, uh, is in the first phase of expansion. The first phase of that expansion began a few months ago on October the 1st to extend the program to eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty on or after, I'm sorry, on or before May 7th, 1975. That would be those that served up through the Vietnam War end of that era. And uh, up until this change, the program was only for post-9-11 veterans and their caregivers. Now, the, the second phase of expansion, which will uh, be effective October 1st, 2022, so uh, just under two years from now, we'll expand the program to eligible veterans uh, who incurred or aggravated serious injury in the line of duty between May 7th, 75, and September 11, 2001. Now, this program is a very important program for veterans who need the assistance of family caregivers. It offers um, uh, education and training, a monthly stipend, and many other benefits for these family caregivers. Here's the website. It's caregiver.va.gov. Again, it's caregiver.va.gov. Other, other quick item of news before I turn things back over to Rick. Uh, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021 added three new disabilities to the Agent Orange presumptive list for disability compensation under Title 38 U.S. Code. And those three new conditions are Parkinsonism, bladder cancer, and hypothyroidism. Again, that's Parkinsonism, bladder cancer, and hypothyroidism. Please note that Parkinsonism is different from Parkinson's disease, which is already on the Agent Orange list. Uh, but for more information, um, give us a call or or uh, uh, check out va.gov for uh, for some updates. Okay, back over to you, Rick. Thanks, David. Before we close the show tonight, we'd like to provide our weekly reminder to veterans and their families about an important VA program called Coaching Into Care. It helps veterans having difficulty transitioning to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment, and loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veteran. Give the program a call at toll free one triple eight eight two three seven four five eight. Hours are Monday through Friday, eight a.m. to eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, VA's Coaching in the Care number is one eight 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 two three seven four five eight. In addition, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has a Veterans Crisis Line to help. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed. Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Back to you, David. Thank you, Rick. Well, it's time for us to go for this evening. We'd like to thank all of you for listening to the Veterans News Hour here on BBS Radio. Uh, Station One. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Corey and Hurley Law Group, which represents veterans and disability cases and military personnel actions. We'd like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. We hope you'll tune in next week, same time, same station, for another edition of the Veterans News Hour. Until then, stay safe and stay healthy. Hope you have a great week.
Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans' issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.